0: You're listening to 06 Answers, where every week we interview a different member from the West Point Class of 2006. When you ask 06 questions, you'll get 06 Answers. Welcome back to the 06 Answers Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Wang, and I'm joined here in person here in lovely New York City with Brett Chirescu. Brett currently serves as the Chief Operating Officer from Dub, based out of New York City. He's originally from Kings Park, New York. Was an A2 A two as a plebe and G four as an upperclassman. Brett, I want to thank you for joining me today. How are you doing, well? Hey, doing great. <laughs> yeah, in, in uh, beautiful Manhattan right now. Beautiful Manhattan. Yeah. I gotta say, thank you for doing this our first in person interview here in New York City. And I know we were catching up beforehand, and you were stationed in Florida. So, like, what other you know duty <laughs> stations? Yeah, compared to all, yeah, were the best ones in your career so far that you've been to. All right,
1: so very diverse option set. I started flight school Fort McRee, Alabama. Then I was in Wiesbaden, Germany, then out in Bavaria and Hohenfels, Germany. Then I was in Fort Wichuka, Fort we gotcha, for about two years with the 160th. And then I was at Emory-Riddle Aeronautical University in Daytona Beach, Florida. So not very typical posts for a uh, army guy, but I would say hands down Germany, number one, especially Wiesbaden because that's where my wife, I met my wife and a lot of fond like relationship memories started there. But I think number two, Florida was an interesting. I, I, Florida is an interesting place. I'll leave it at like that. But my mom, like all good New Yorkers, moved down to Florida when I was stationed there. So a very unique opportunity to be stationed near my family, my direct family, which is something that I didn't think was going to happen in my time, no matter where I was. That one, I think gets number two for that
0: aspect. Nice. Yeah. And uh, out of West Point, where did you... Uh Was
1: that your first uh, duty station in terms of like what you selected on post night? Uh, So as an aviator, you don't get it. You don't get it. I had to pick at school. So I first had to, you know, I got aviation. So I was excited. Then you pick your aircraft once you're in flight school. And then once that happens, then they open up the list of where you can go because it's linked. I was lucky enough to get fixed wing aviation. Germany is my first duty assignment. Nice. It was rockstar. Yeah. I loved it. It was very lucky. It all came down to a really weird story where they didn't have my tetanus shot on file as I was going to SEER school. It delayed me five weeks, and within those five weeks, the slot opened. And if I didn't have that delayed tetanus shot misfiling, I would have not got I would have been in because Fort Campbell oh, with wow. Blackhawks. Yeah. yeah. I had orders to Campbell with Blackhawks. Wow. And they got changed for Fixed Wing Germany.
0: And I know we talked about some classmates who were there in Germany when you arrived, but were there any other people that were uh Familiar faces when you showed up.
1: Honestly, uh, it was ended up being Judah Wanapain Vilsack. <laughs> he was a uh, partner in crime when I was doing all my UMO 140 training. Other than that, a lot of, there was upper class, like older West Pointers that were in my unit, but a lot of ROTC guys became my close friends. Nice. Uh, it was good.
0: Okay, maybe we'll just jump into the questions. So question one, which I've been asking all our classmates is, What's a core memory or story from the West Point days that really stands
1: out? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is this is a tough question because there's like me as a human. The like West Point is the core of a lot of my origin story. So narrowing down one specific kind of thought. So I, I think it it really it's a story about change. And I, I think we you know everybody says Buckner's your best life, or, your best summer of your life. I do have these angelic memories of Buckner being over by Barth Hall, eating and you know terrible food for you yeah, and drinking yeah, those milkshakes, those <laughs> man. I remember like strawberry peanut butter or something that I was doing. I like people thought I was crazy. I felt like so summer campy, really building relationships with the people around you. And I remember like just sitting in the bays on Sundays, the rain on the tin ceilings. And these are like very specific memories that trigger like this really positive, nostalgic feeling. You know, I built these great relationships. And at the end, a few days after March back, one of my squad mates, I don't know if everybody remembers him, but Todd Hoykling ended up dying during a marathon tryout. He like kind of got overheated and literally died. And leading up to that, it was about innocence and like getting through West Point as a team. And then mortality kind of hit me in the face. Like, you could die. This is real. And, and I remember we went up to New Hampshire for the, the funeral and it wrecked me. And Shortly after that, you know, we started getting those like moments of silence at at the mess hall at lunch for upperclassmen that have gone and like gave the ultimate sacrifice. And I think like the first plebe year, Beast Barracks, Buckner was this very like innocent time of getting through West Point. And then as we kind of moved forward, it was preparing for like real life stuff. And I think that inflection point was a very, very stark situation for me that really pushed me. It really changed my mind. It was an inflection point. Yeah. And I think that was one of my core memories that really kind of set me up to become like more resilient and more prepared for real world. Have you kept in touch
0: with anyone else from the uh, Bunker Squad, you know, during the West Point
1: days or even you know, nowadays? Yeah. You know, good old Tina Chong, I think she was on the show okay. too. Uh, we reconnected randomly over Facebook, I think, and we realized we we're living like three, four blocks away from each other in Oakland. And we just started hanging out all the time when like back when I lived over there. And it was really good times. There's a few other folks that I kind of keep lightly in touch with, but she was the one that happened to be like literally down right, the street right. for me. Right.
0: Yeah, That's no, good. Yeah, we right. heard from Tina. She you know, was on the podcast and it was good to hear some of the amazing stories she shared on air, but also off air. Yeah. Uh, so it was great. She's
1: doing some cool stuff. Yeah.
0: Brad, right. maybe I'll jump in mm-hmm. to questions too. So, so what's something that you're most proud of since graduation? So this one, you know, a little bit
1: difficult to nail down as well. But honestly, I think for me, what I'm most kind of jazzed about is my transition from military to civilian life. So for those that haven't caught up with me in a while, I got out in 2018 and I was fortunate enough to find a fellowship program that put me at a little tiny startup in San Francisco called Affirm. Some of you might recognize that because now they're like the buy now, pay later partner for like Amazon, Walmart, Peloton, if you have one the company ended up going very well. Uh, so I came in as like an entry-level employee on a fellowship for military veterans using the skills bridge program. So I was like literally working and still on PCS leave. I ended up working my way up to head of business operations by the time we got, by the time we went public and, you know, terrified to lose my insurance person getting out of the army after 12 years to, you know, a junior executive at a public company running an entire department was something that I never would have thought I could do or should do because I don't have an MBA. I don't have any type of business degree. And a lot of it was just using my leadership skills, ability to get stuff done and grit that I learned at West Point and then in the service to get me where I got. And then, you know, fast forward to today, a year later after leaving a firm, I'm now the COO of a venture-backed startup in New York City that's launching a public retail brokerage to trade stocks. You know, like this is Cool stuff. <laughs> Nothing that I expected.
0: Yeah, an amazing ride, and I like what you shared on the Usmo Career Networking Facebook group page about reflecting on your career and how you know maybe that's advice that a new old grad could take as they're thinking about their transition. Can you share a little bit more about those little morsels yeah. of uh, knowledge that you imparted on us?
1: Yeah, I feel very fortunate about my transition, so I, I'm very very intentional about giving back to veterans that are transitioning as well. And I spend, if anybody, no matter West Point or anybody in the military, any service pings me on on LinkedIn, I will set aside a half an hour to help walk them through it. So I was doing this quite often. I'm like, you know what, I I need to put some out there. So I threw that out there on the, and essentially like the big ones that I think I remember like calling out specifically are, the biggest one that I kind of preached to everybody is risks. Transitioning out of the military comes with risks and you can either mitigate those risks and reduce optionality and potential upside on the other side of it or you take and swing big and you either lose but or you either do well and gain great experiences and i think me going to a, an unknown company an unknown position and into a, a skill set that i didn't have was a huge risk but it paid off so i, I talk about the risk versus reward kind of equation geography flexibility and geography in the world of corporate America if you want to be at the hometown that you're in like there's limited resources for you to get a successful career there. Not impossible but definitely like harder. And then third is like don't underestimate yourself and don't underestimate the power of on the job training because I became head of biz ops without any business, right? Like <laughs> okay, yeah. let's do it. And right now I'm I'm learning SQL because I'm one of the few folks that are working like analytics for the company. So I'm becoming a registered representative with FINRA to like manage a brokerage. These are things that I, you know, learning on the yeah, job. Right. Yeah, let's go do it. Right, so uh, just be, say yes. It's like improv. Just yeah, say yes. Yes, and yeah. See what else leads uh, to? Be.
0: Yeah. And I recall that you did have uh, another bullet. It was more so related to you know just kind of the leadership skills. Oh yeah. The soft skills that we talked about. Yep. So can you show us a little bit more about how you really use that? Yep. and getting your courage where you're at
1: now? Yeah, so I think the big thing that, that progressed me at my last company, Affirm, was I was able to bring teams of people together and and focus what they're working on and, and and get execution going, regardless if they were the executives or the senior product team or the business team or the sales team. And I just kept on, I was just known as the guy that like had good insights for leaders to listen to and get just get stuff done, get shit done. G S D. Yeah. like that was, that was my brand, right? Yeah. And I was really trying to build this brand of like, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I don't have a ton of business reps, but I do have reps at getting stuff done yeah. and seeing a, a mission and working towards that mission and bringing people along with me. And like that leadership training and me being able to kind of lead up also played a massive role because I ended up working closely with, CEO. I became chief of staff to the chief commercial officer. So she was the CEO of Groupon. The CEO was the co-founder of PayPal. So these are like heavy hitters in the business. And I had a seat at the table. They wanted to know, how do I handle the situation? Like, what should we do? And I was just like, I'm literally, I just got out of the army like two three years ago. Like, why are you asking me? But, you know, with confidence, with, you know, good judgment, with, you know, interpersonal skills and leadership, like it opened a massive amount of doors for me to kind of like show what I can bring to the table.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we should be titling this episode GSD
1: now. Yeah. Get shit done. (laughs) That'll be the
0: overarching thing for uh, everything that's been working on. Well, maybe I'll move to question three, and this is something we've asked our classmates. What do you wish more people knew about you? I think, you know, being in the military, it's very like kind of tough guy type
1: of like persona that you have to play. I am the opposite of that. Like. Obviously, if you're not if you're listening to this, you don't see that I have the giant man by now and a beard. Uh, the, I'm like more of an indoor cat. I'm into music. I play piano. Like I played piano my whole life. When I was stationed in Germany, I was in a band and played in bars around Frankfurt and stuff with a whole bunch of civilian people that I met there, like German people. I love theater. I love musicals. Like I, I'm kind of embarrassed to show people like my most played songs on on Spotify because they're like, "What? Who are you?" Right. But, but, like, I love that I'm back on the East Coast, back in New York. It's a hub for culture, so I'm really getting to flex that side of who I am as a human, and I don't have to conceal it anymore. Yeah. Uh, I, get, I get to be who I am, right? So it's nice. It's good. And I, I
0: have, like, a couple follow-on questions that I just yeah. got to ask. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, So where did the passion
1: for piano first come from? I think my very first Christmas gift is like, a not even one-year-old was, like, a little piano. I loved it. And then I started taking lessons in, like, when I was, like, five
0: just I mean, imagining a little
1: Schroeder, but yeah. <laughs> I I just going town. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just, I, I just really like dug in and like, I, I got to a point where I was like very into like classical music and I was doing like three hours a day of of like training wow. essentially, and then like I was also trying to like be a good athlete because I wanted to go to West Point, so I needed to do like the leadership stuff, the, yeah. the athletics, the the school, and the extracurriculars. I just really got into the extra, the, the, the piano. I was in a jazz band. I was in the orchestra. I played viola. Like I played all kinds of instruments, played guitar ukulele. And like, I just kind of like, it was good to take my mind off of it. And it also helps me balance me my personality. And I think across everything, it was always a grounding point for me. And, but like getting into it, I just like my parents kind of nudged me into it. And then I just took it to it like a sponge. And it was hard at West Point because like, I, I didn't have access to a piano readily. So like, I kind of felt like, Kind of made a you know there's a fork in the road where I can go to like music or I can go to West Point. Yeah, I think I made the right decision, but it did come at a cost, right? Mm-hmm. So like now I'm getting back into it and like kind of enjoying that side
0: of, of me. And back to your band experience in Germany. Oh my god! What can you share with the audience in terms of what you played or like what was your involvement?
1: Okay, so I was a piano player. Of course, okay. we would get hired at bars and like really like hired meaning like free booze, and, like and food, and we would uh play just whatever people like kind of what people wanted like just easy pop songs and like it was fun you know like this typical pop song it yeah. was not anything special it wasn't like we were creating our own music or like we were super good yeah. we were literally like a tuesday night type of bar not a saturday <laughs> night type of uh, band i mean yeah so definitely like it was good to connect with the culture it was good to connect with people and good to see parts of germany that i probably wouldn't have seen if i just stayed on post doing yeah. the, the, the army thing
0: what was the go-to song that the band
1: was this 2008, 2010 time frame?
0: I don't know, all those bar <laughs>
1: classics, like, Sweet Caroline came up a few times, yeah. like, it's interesting, the German palette for music is a little bit different than the American okay. palette, so, we kind of branded ourselves as like, American band, so typical American classics. Yeah. I can't even remember offhand specifically, just it would come and go. Yeah, sometimes. we got to make
0: sure we reach out to a classmate or two who's been out Germany, maybe they came across. Yeah,
1: maybe they saw yeah. me. Yeah. they like, that guy looked familiar. Yeah. No man mode back then, but now it makes sense. (laughs) Well, Brad, maybe we'll pivot more to the current
0: times in the future. Uh, Question four, what's something currently that works or in the future that you're most excited about to show the audience?
1: Yeah, I'm super excited about this one. So I don't know if a lot of people know what it's like to be an early seed stage venture-backed company, but it is extremely risky and it is extremely difficult to launch a new product. And right now, Dub, the company I work at, is a really interesting product. This is a retail investment app. Think Robinhood meet Twitter, right? So we are a brokerage that enables people to make trades, retail trading, but the cool layer that we're providing is if I create a cool portfolio, like one of my portfolios is veteran led businesses. So Nike and and other, you know, bigger brands that people that might not even realize were like created by veterans, I built a portfolio put money against it. And now it lives on the app. And if somebody finds it and searches for it and wants to see how it's doing, they can look at it and then they could copy it and invest in it. So this is like peer to peer strategy sharing in like a really effective way. And, And not only that, but you can also, we have like Dub Capital, which is like our company's like advisory arm that's creating managed portfolios where you can, those are what we call premium portfolios. So, And then uh, in the future we're going to be working with like other registered advisors to like, essentially like, Hey, give us your strategy. We'll put it on our app for distribution. And you know, this is an opportunity to get your name out there, uh, show track record or continue to grow your business without having to deal with all the individual clients yourselves, which, you know, given your background in the space, it's not easy to, to get new clients. So like think of us as a distribution marketplace for strategies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to ask about your journey to finding um, Like, how did you come across the opportunity and what inspired you to take this step?
1: It found me. Uh, so I was uh, I was about in my fourth year at, at a firm and I was just burnt out. Like being a chief of staff, head of biz ops at a company going public and then becoming public and doing that thing is incredibly stressful. And I was like, I, I quit. Like, I'm like, I need to take a year. Off. I need to take a year off. I need to relax. And about a month before I was getting ready to like say goodbye, one of these headhunter firms was like, "Hey, would you would you know be open to this opportunity?" I was like, "No, no way, seed stage, I'm not doing it." And they're like, uh, "Well, it's a unique opportunity. The CEO and, and founder is 22 years old or 21 at the time," and I was like, "Oh, definitely, I I I, I can't do this." I'm like, "Okay, they bugged me enough. They're like, like, hey, this is really not very well backed with venture like good venture capitalists, really well funded.'" really well positioned, just looking for like an operator to come in and clean things up. And I was like, okay, let me take a look. And I met with the CEO who's actually sitting right over there uh, as we recorded this. And there was like chemistry. Like I, I, I was like, this this kid, this guy is like a genius. There's something here. And you know, we, we hung out, we got dinner, we got some drinks in New York city, a little bit of wine and dining. And I was like, okay, let, let me think about this. And I, I talked to my wife. Lisa. And I was like, what do you think? She's like, do you want to do it? I'm like, well, that's great advice. But uh, I was like, you know what? There, there's something here. And I couldn't quite put my finger. I still can't quite put my finger on it, but there's an X factor. The product is really good for people. And I think I'm very mission driven. And I, like, I don't want to see people throwing spaghetti at the wall at Robinhood and just and failing. Most retail investors are down, right? Like that's how it is. And that's why people are like you have a job, like advise. And we're looking to bring the advice uh, in a little bit more transparent and easy to access way. And I think that echoes what like my last company was doing was like buying out pay later capability in a like an authentic, like transparent and like honorable way. Like we didn't charge late fees and it hurt the business not doing that, but we did it very intentionally not to be a negative thing for the, our clients. So I think if, if the product is good for the people and it's fun to build, I think it's worth going after. And I think those things along with, With the people that were here working and the CEO himself, I think that's what kind of drove the decision. Yeah, I you know really appreciate you sharing that
0: because I feel like a lot of our classmates are at that inflection point in their Mm -hmm. careers where they're thinking, "Do I take on that risk? Like, Mm -hmm. what are the factors that will help me make that decision?" So
1: I do have to say this: like, I don't have kids, and I think that it gives me much more of a permissive risk profile than people that have many kids that need to like make sure that they're, they're bringing in the capital every, every month. But I still urge like really reflect on like who you want to be and like what risks you want to take and, and what kind of like what you're what you willing to put out there. Like, Be bold. That's just my advice. But again, like I don't have kids, so I can be bold and like I eat ramen for a month and that's that. You know, so much different when you add to the equation.
0: I think it was uh, Ben Summers who just talked about in the previous episode about the power of options. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, you know, even before we get record, you did have options when you first got out. You mm-hmm. alluded to a, a little bit in your experience of Oakland, so I feel like, you know, the more experience you get, the more opportunities you open mm-hmm. yourself up to, the wider your options. Yeah. And uh, let's, let's not say yourself short. I mean, you also have a dog, right? A two, yeah. A, two, yeah, two, two, yeah, so a little you Pomsky. as well. Yeah, as
1: yeah. yeah. Doing, you know? A little dependent. Yep. A little sassy Pomsky, but yeah. He, his food is cheap. <laughs> the vet bills in New York are not cheap, but the food is cheap.
0: Yeah, oh, man. we need to get a classmate who has effect
1: connection. Yeah, seriously. Son. Like yeah. it's it's. I, luckily, I have insurance, but that's still not covering it. Oh, yeah, no. dog so, insurance. So yeah, let's so let's, so let's so talk about so lemonade. Good brand. <laughs>
0: we'll move on to our hands question, and this comes from our previous guest, Jason Davis, and he asks, "What part of the cadet experience or story?" Was a preview into what your life inside or outside of the army would eventually be like
1: this is a great question it really was a little bit of a stumper and i I sat yesterday after you texted it to me like half written i was like oh my goodness this is going to be tough (laughs) i'm like i need to make a hard question for the next person which then i didn't realize i was going to be answering as well so i kind of go back to this this theme throughout my career and this theme is mentorship and really using my leadership skills and my mentorship skills to like move myself forward. And this is going to be weird. This is like very deep in the books of West Point, like what happens there. But like they have this summer program for high school kids. Back in the day, they called it IAW Individual Academic Workshop. Now I think it's called the Summer Leadership Experience. And I don't know how they found me, but I got snagged, I think, junior year, Cal year to be cadre for this thing. And it was like, okay, you have half the summer off. And I was like so proud of myself. I'm like, I can't believe I snagged a half the summer off. And then, like, yeah, yeah, I'm ready to go. And then like a week before it starts, like, oh, we just need some more folks to run this like summer camp for high school kids. I was furious to say the least. So, but this was a really interesting opportunity. It was the first time I got to kind of feel like a teacher. Like, of course, like at West Point, you're a squad leader, you're a team leader. And, and that's a lot of it. And I think this, but this was very specifically like I had one job. One job was to teach, train, educate, and inspire these cadets and then not take myself too seriously. Right. Like there was no like chain of command requirement. Like they're just kids. Like let's have fun, but let's learn. Let's show them how it is. I, I kind of really enjoyed it. And like, I, I couldn't believe it actually it was like something I did, but like it was fun. I think uh, Josh Ollett was with me at the time. Migs was there. I don't know what was going on, but uh, it was like a two week thing. Fast forward, I ended up becoming an ROTC professor. It was like my last duty assignment, and I felt very similar, like same, age, like just slightly older kids, like a lot of mentorship, a lot of getting involved with, like really helping people along. And then, as, as my time as a civilian, like at a firm, like again, I became especially in this like chief of staff role, like I. I I got to really mentor a lot of my peers and even my own boss on leadership and about like having tough decisions to make and how to execute them, how to like communicate them. And, you know, and today I use, my CEO is a young man that dropped out of Harvard. And, you know, I feel like I get to be a mentor to him. and I think it jazzes me up. It, It gets my heart pumping when I get to help others. And this is why I also try to help as many other veterans on their transition as possible, because like that, fuels me up. That's my battery. That's how I charge my battery is is helping others like in mentorship and like guidance and leadership. I got to ask about the high school
0: program, like did any of them, you know, come up to you in late years, whether at West Point, if they you know, came the next year or, you know, if they actually did join the army. Yeah. Like, they were like, ran into you and said, Hey, you had a positive, yeah. or they said, Hey, negative impact, but you know, I know what I want to do now.
1: I re- this is I, like, I remember this one girl at the time. Jen Burns, so they must be like three or four years behind me. Uh, she ended up coming and we, we're still in touch to this day. And I remember her parents, I met her mom and dad at, like on pickup date and they are from like, they were living in Key West. I think her dad was like in the diver program, like some sort of special operations thing. And they got me a box of like cigars because like apparently like she was ranting about how cool it was. and what kind of impact I had. And like, they thanked me and give me like a written letter and sent, like give me a box of cigars and other good ones too. And, and I was like, I don't know if I'm allowed to have this, but I was like, yeah, that's not like whatever, I'll take it. But yeah, we still stay in touch She's in California even right now. And yeah, and a few others here and there. I, yeah. I see see around, but like that was the one that kind of stands out.
0: It's just so inspirational to hear the stories of how people, you know, either had a casual detail or something that was life-changing for them, but um, also for like the next... First, receiving we're yep. seeing. I feel like uh, Joe had mentioned that uh, Chevy, his squad leader, or PSG, um, you know, during Beast was someone who's influential and they still stay in touch
1: now. So, Yeah, th- this actually, for me, somebody who just I reconnected with was not my squad leader, but the squad leader in front of me during Beast, first first detail Beast, uh, Tom Root. I don't know if that rings a bell with anybody in the audience. He's out in, like, London right now. We connected, and it... He, we ended up reconnecting at, at the 160th when I was there. He was there. And then he got out, went to BCG, went to London. And then he was working with like a buy now, like pay later project. And I kind of helped him out with some consulting stuff. But like, he's also been somebody that I've, I've admired yeah. as, as he's kind of taken the job and done some great things on the civilian side. It's really interesting. Like, literally, like, he was like the first person that hazed me. Like, I, I was stepping up to some line and he was screaming at me. And now, you know, 20 something years later almost, like... 2002, we went in. So, yeah. like 21 years later, still connected, still having an impact on my life. So, yeah,
0: hopefully, it's not yelling at you.
1: So yeah, no, no. It's much, he actually sent me a nice book. And, there you go. Um, yeah.
0: And, Brad, maybe just one last question on that topic. You know, it sounds like mentorship, when you said, has been something crucial you know, throughout your life. I mean, you know, have there have been mentors early in your life that really, you know, kind of said, hey, that's something I want to emulate. Or maybe, you know, there's some sort of reason that. You know, really inspired you to take a mentorship is something
1: that is, that he said fuels you up. Yeah. You know, looking back at it, like I think a lot of that stems from my father. He died when we were right in the week after ring weekend. Ugh, it, was, it was rough, but he was a uh, special ed teacher and he really loved helping his kids. And I saw this behavior of just like absolute devotion. Some of these kids couldn't even thank him, couldn't even understand what he was doing. And this devotion to making their lives better, even outside of the school, really exemplified, like, really the meaning of, like, you, you don't mentor somebody for re- something in return, right? Like, it's, and, and like, in his case, it was extremely one sided. He was mentoring them because he felt they deserved better. And I think that has been really something that, like, landed with me. And I, I saw him do it to this, like, he ended up dying of cancer and like, he didn't take a day off of school. He waited for like summer break to die essentially. And you know, it it showed me his dedication to like just helping others. And I think that's, and then my mom's also like a VA nurse. Like she, her whole life was helping, like, you know, veterans who ended up with like mental illness and drug addiction. And like, she, again, not a lot of folks really, enjoyed her help when they were going through it, but you know, she's a very altruistic person. So I think between seeing my parents in those particular professions and that call to action of helping others is what you should dedicate your life to. Again, like I feel like a little bit of a cheat because I'm a business guy working at a startup. I I, I don't want to like talk about me being this most incredible mentor. Like I am a capitalist at heart and I do make decisions that are hard sometimes that don't align with that every single time. But at the same time, I do try to nurture that aspect of me without forgetting where I came from or what jazzes me up. Right. Yeah. So yeah.
0: Well, I think it's, it's clearly evident amongst, uh, you know, the listeners, you know, see the passion that even though you're still in this you know, corporate mindset, yeah. you're still at your core or again, I just think for sure. Yeah. So maybe I'll pivot to our last question. So this is, you know, in theme with the long red line a question you want
1: to ask the next class to, and also which, you know, you'll answer. After yeah, uh, yes. Yeah, so, I, you know, I, I think this is a relatively, like, dangerous question to ask yourself, because hindsight is always twenty twenty. But, you know, for the context of, like, West Point, military service, and for those who got out, the timing, like, my question is, if you could go back in time and make one change to essentially your West Point career trajectory, whether it's your post, what branch you picked, what jobs you kind of sought after, or when you got out, what would you change and why? That's a great question. Yeah. (laughs) Because we all have forks in the road. Each one of those moments, each PCS is a fork in the road and, you you know, you only know the way you've gone. You don't know the other way. So, you know, hindsight does give you some perspective on what life would have been like, but tough one.
0: So in this multiverse of rent, yeah, uh, what decision did you go back and review? Yeah,
1: you know, I don't want to sound like the typical guy that's like, oh, you should have got out sooner. But like, I stayed in an awkward period of time of 12 years. So I was like a major getting ready to go to CGSC. And I ended up having an eye issue that prevented me from flying anymore. So I was like, okay, I don't want to necessarily stay in the army and not be an aviator. So that's what kind of like tipped me over the edge. But I felt like I was kind of like so hook, line and sinker into the army. My perspective when I was in the military was like, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to go to this job. I got to get KD time. I got to get command. You know, I want BZ. I want this. And like, I was so caught up in that game that I, I failed to recognize that my life had become a prescription with just a few multiple choice questions that I had in my control. And I compromised a lot on what I as a person felt good about doing. Compromised a lot about who I was as a human and and how it came out. I like I like I said, like I, I'm a softer type of guy, and kind of playing that role of like army dude was like kind of hard for me. And I was like, you know, how many times have people said, like, hey, you need health insurance, right? Like, don't get out. And, like, I was crippled to make a hard decision to say goodbye at the right time. And knowing when to leave a job, in my opinion, now as a civilian, is as difficult and as critical as what job to say yes to. And this is like my process of leaving a firm. Like, things were good for me there. Like, on paper, I shouldn't have left. But, like, the situation about me, like, kind of not leaving the army when I, probably was right for me, cost me a lot of opportunity, cost me a lot of stress, and it cost me a lot of growth. Because while I love the ROTC job, working at Tradec was not a very growth, you know, giving job.
0: Broadening.
1: Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't as broadening as they say they say it is. And I really felt, you know, I was what, early 30s. Those are like your most potent years, yeah. being able to grind out, go get an MBA, go start something. And I just kind of, Hung out waiting for the army to tell me what was next. And it really was not a healthy thing to do at that time of my life. And it also compromised like where me and my wife were gonna live, whether we were gonna start a family or not. It had too much control over my life, not and it's a job, right? And again, like the army is your life, and I get that and I respect that. But I think in hindsight, treating the army and balancing it with your life is something that a lot of people fail to do. And Tough, you get in it. You're in it. It's hard to look outside of it, right? So, really hard for me to, to say that to myself that, hey, you should have got out sooner. Yes, I'd it's twenty twenty, but I think I learned a big lesson, and I now I apply that a lesson to my to my civilian decision making around career path.
0: Yeah. Thanks for sharing that reflection. I feel yeah. like That's something that should be in all the what soldier for life classes, yeah. but like upfront, you know, before you sign it, dotted line, or maybe a year in these types of conversations should be had to people really think, you know, holistically about their career in the long term. Yeah.
1: Um, By the way, that topic is a very important topic. When I talk to these folks that are like just about to transition or yeah. thinking about transition. And again, I think the army deserves great leaders and great like people and you know, we need good talent to stay. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, if I see somebody that is like struggling with the current situation that they're in, like I am an advocate to like take ownership of your career and your yeah. life.
0: Well, well said. Uh, that wraps up the six questions. Usually, towards the end, I like to ask if there's any final call to action that you have for our classmates or listeners.
1: Yeah, uh, shameless plug here. I cannot, re- I, I, there's going to be a link associated with this podcast. Please try my app out. It's really hard. It's really hard right now to see like the user growth just like not growing the way you thought it was going to grow. And I would love feedback from anybody who wants to use the app. And if you're actually in, in in the finance space, I would even more so appreciate, you know, if you want to like talk about potential partnerships or like coming on and consulting or like thinking about ways that you could, you know, integrate this app into your workflow or like potentially like refer folks to it. Like I would love that. Please, <laughs> shameless plug, right? Like oh, yeah. let, let, let's 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 help each other out. I already kind of bugged everybody in the Facebook group, but didn't get it. I think I got four down. Yeah, no, we've got, we've
0: got the the podcast, and you know we'll definitely reach out to our classmates, yeah. you know, for their support. I mean, that's what it's all about: like collaborating, graduate yeah. like that extends just beyond those four years and beyond our time uniform, even though those you know still in.
1: Oh, quick note: uh, iPhone only right now. So if you're on Android, I'm very sorry. Like, I appreciate your support emotionally. We'll we'll be shipping that next year, but iPhone only.
0: Thanks. and we will make sure to put the links in here. Yeah, uh, Brett, I want to thank you again for just sharing your story, sharing your journey of how you got in the army and then also out navigating the corporate world. I feel like there's a lot of different things we have here: GSD, get shit done, but uh, mm-hmm. then also, you know, I know everyone's going to be wondering what's on your Spotify playlist. So make sure to reach out to Brett. A lot too. of Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> and nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, Make sure to reach out to Brett. Uh, visit us out here in New York City if anyone's in the yep. area. With that, I want to thank our classmates, our listeners, and we'll end the episode with our class model, falter, or quit. Love it. Thanks for listening to O6 Answers. Views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on O6 Answers are the speaker's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of the United States Army, Department of Defense, or any other agency, organization, company they have or currently work for, nor does its use imply endorsement of our opposition to any specific organization, product, or service. Any material presented here is for general information purposes only. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at O6 Answers.